and the views of Radio Free Brooklyn, its staff, or management. Thank you for listening and have a dope day. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. How are all of God's blessed and highly favored people doing today? Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Relax and enjoy your family today. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something how good God is. Now, you know, when I come into the studio and I sound all prepped up like this, you know I got a testimony, right? I got a testimony. Yeah, I know it's too early for some of you for some of that, but I know a lot of you can relate to what I'm talking about. Let me tell you what happened to me coming to the studio today. And let me tell you how amazing God is and how much, and okay, I'm going ahead of myself. 
I go to leave this morning, right? I get up, do my routine, call my cab, because you know I, I take a cab to the studio every day, every morning on Sundays. Cab comes, I get in the cab, we're taking a leisurely stroll down the route we got to go. I get five blocks from the studio and realize I don't have my connections that I need to hook up to the keyboard in order to do the show. We have to turn all the way back around and go back to my house. So she takes me. I said, oh, you know, I'll put in that, you know, we have to go back if it's an extra fit. She's like, don't worry about it. Just direct me where I got to go so I don't lose the GPS of where I have to take you. I direct her back to my house. I run in my house, run upstairs, get everything I need for the studio, come back down. And as soon as we're about to pull off, she said, you sure you got everything, your phone, your what? To make sure that, you know, we don't have to come back. She said, because sometimes when you got to go back to the house, when you go back for the one thing, you forget something else. Lo and behold, as I'm looking through my my bag, because I want to tip her now, because I'm like, this cab driver is just so sweet. My wallet is not in the bag. I never packed the wallet in the bag. I had to go back in the house, run, get the wallet that I left on the bed, come back downstairs. And as I get in the car, I'm like, you know what? I said, the devil is a liar. And when I said that, she's like, he is. And we just started talking about the goodness of God. And she was telling me about how she had a passenger that had left their keys at their daughter's house. They were at the airport going to Paris. This whole big thing. She went back to the daughter's house, got the daughter, brought the daughter back to the airport for the parents with the keys. They could not believe it. The mother was crying. The cab driver that I have, when I say God sends you people that you need, we made two trips back to my house before I even got here to the studio. But here's the amazing thing about God. I'm on the air on time. I'm still on the air on time, even with those two trips. And I said, what if I would have went, what if I would have just left five minutes later? Look at the, look at what could have happened. But because He woke me up, got me moving, got me going to do what me being obedient. And that's what I'm going to get into today's story about what we're talking about. So here we are almost done with our journey through the minor prophets, right? And today we're going to look at the 11th minor prophet, Zechariah. And he's also known as the second of the post exilic. Prophets. Remember, Haggai was one and he's the next. He and Haggai actually were talking to people in Judah simultaneously. While Haggai was talking, he was also talking. And if you recall, last week we spoke about Haggai, who was another post-exilic prophet. And post-exilic means that these were the prophets that preached to the Jewish people after the exile when Babylon came and took over. So now, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And now Zechariah was actually born in exile. So he was born in Babylon. So that means he was born during a time that the Babylonians had already taken over Israel and Judah and had taken the Jewish people and brought them over to where they needed them, they wanted them to be. And he was actually born while they were in captivity. So he doesn't know anything about 
Jerusalem and well, not knowing it as far as seeing it or living in the place of, but he knows about it because he was taught about it. And that goes to also goes to it is so important to teach your children your family history. They need to know the good, the bad, everything they need to know because he had a passion for the things of God and knew nothing of living in that land where everything was beautiful. So they both, he had, he and Haggai returned back to the land of Judah to preach to the people. Now his passion for the things of God was not only for what was happening to the people around him, but what also, but it was also for what God was going to do in the future. His message has a very prophetic tone to it. So just like in the book of Haggai, you see specific dates given when Zechariah is speaking. And Zechariah's book actually has 14 chapters. So you know he had a lot to say. 14 chapters for a minor prophet? He had a lot to tell the people. He was reminding people that, like his name, God remembers all of the promises that he made to his people and would fulfill all that he said to them. But they had to do their part as well. So Zechariah picks up on certain parts where Haggai leaves off, calling the people of Judah to stop procrastinating and rebuild the temple. But unlike Haggai, because, you know, Haggai was getting annoyed with the people because they weren't They were taking care of their own homes instead of taking care of God's temple. Zechariah had a different approach. His approach was, let me explain to you the importance of completing this temple because it's going to play a huge role in the future of our people. The temple was a symbol of their lives. And one day the Messiah would dwell in both the temple and in them. Working on both would be rebuilding their future. So that's a different spin from what the other minor prophets were saying. The minor prophets used to always say the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And the Jewish people always took it as, yes, it's going to be the day when God is going to come and rescue us and, you know, kill our enemies and blah, 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 and save us. But Zechariah, and it's, and it, it makes, I mean, when you think about it, God does nothing by mistake. He's the 11th minor prophet, right? After him is Malachi, and then we're done. But then after Malachi, what starts? The New Testament. So here we have Zechariah telling the people a little bit more about what this future of the day of the Lord really means. So we're going to begin with the chapter, first chapter in Zechariah, verses 1 to 6. And here's where Zechariah reminds them how they got to where they were. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Bereshi, the son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you said the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways 
and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statues, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Blessed is the reading of the word. And it, it, this right here, when you read this, where Zechariah is reminding the people of what God said and giving them the, the word from the Lord, it's all that God was calling the people to remember. Remember what I told your fathers? And by the way, where are your fathers? And by the way, where are the prophets that I, that I sent to warn them? God was letting them know, your fathers are gone. The prophets that I sent to warn your fathers are gone, but my word still stands. My word that I told them still stands today. And in other words, he's going to be telling them, and it's going to still stand forever. My words aren't going to change. What I say and what I do and what I want from my people is not going to change. God was still calling the people to repentance and obedience, reminding them, don't do like your ancestors did before you because the same fate that they suffered, you can then suffer as well. So God gives Zechariah a series of visions that he has an angel of his explain to Zechariah exactly what they mean. And Zechariah was also explaining to the people what the visions were so that the people could know what God was actually telling them. And in these visions, God was telling him something that was going to happen in the future. But Zechariah was like, look, people, let me tell you, this is why it's so important that we pay attention today. Because I told you, this temple that you're building today is going to affect your future. So God gives these visions to Zechariah. And the visions were visions of encouragement. Because if you know there's a brighter day and someone's coming to give you words that's going to let you have hope, wouldn't that lift your spirit? So here we have an angel interpreting the visions for Zechariah. And when the angel is interpreting these visions, it's actually giving Zechariah a glimpse into the realm that most humans don't see. Because the angel was taking him to a place that was outside of where they were walking and living and breathing every day. He was taking him to a, he a heavenly realm. So when you think about it, when the angel is giving him the interpretations of the visions and he's taking Zechariah to this hev heavenly realm to explain to him and show him exactly what these visions mean, it reminds us that even when we don't think God is up to something, or when we think nothing is happening, God is working. God never stops working, never stops moving. We're just in a finite state where we think whatever we see, touch, feel, smell, hey, that's what it is, that's all there is. 
me sitting right here right now today talking to you, there's something happening in the heavenly realm. There's something happening, be it for my future, for your future, for the future of the nation, the planet, the world, the universe. There's something happening, even just by my sitting here. I'm doing my part of what I have to do, but then that's also allowing God to do his part. Remember when he said in number one, my promises are going to be what they are. I will return to you when you return to me. So here we have it. Vision number one. And this is going to be from chapter one. The first vision comes in chapter one, verses seven to 17. This vision was Zachariah saw a man riding a chestnut horse followed by other riders. So the angel interprets the chestnut horse and the other riders are, they were riders sent by God to police the land and to ensure that everything was going according to the way he had had it. Whereas you remember, God had warned them, if you're not obedient, I'm going to have your enemies come and take you over. Remember, that's what Haggai, um, Habakkuk was crying about. How could you have our enemies take us over? How would you do that? You're such a gracious God. Why would you do that to us? But because the people weren't obedient, he let it happen. So God put in place the enemies to, to show the Jewish people, I'm not playing when I talk to you. I gave you mandates to follow and you're not following them. And this is going to be the consequences of it. But even in putting the enemies in place, God was still policing the land. Because remember, God's in control of everything. He's in control of you. He's in control of your enemies. He's in control of your allies. God, if God is in control of everything, he's going to work everything according to his purpose. What's going to bring about what he wants to be done. So if that means using your enemy to get you back in line because he wants you to be obedient, guess what? You're going to suffer the consequences. But don't think that God is not in control of your enemies. Don't think that your enemies is going to have free reign to do whatever they want. Because just like God is watching over you, he watching them too. So God is watching everybody do everything because he's orchestrating everybody to do whatever he wants to be done. In the end, it's going to be what he wants to be done, regardless of who he uses. End of story. So he has these riders going out to police the land. And yes, he was angry with the people and he uses the enemies to get against them, but he still wanted them to deal according with the way he wanted them to deal with the the Jewish people. So that's why he sent the police out to go to look to make sure that everything was being done properly. And they all know the Persians that took over the Babylonians, they were now in charge of everything and they ruled everything with an iron fist. So, of course, everything was going to be quiet because people were scared of the Persians. So God was sending out his police to make sure that exactly what he wanted to happen was happening while the Persians were in rule. And then he would, he told, the angel told Zechariah that, yes, God was going to return to Jerusalem and make his people prosperous once again. And he, that returning to Jerusalem was like Jesus coming into Jerusalem. So you see how the the visions are starting to do a little foreshadow of the Messiah coming with God returning to Jerusalem. It's like Jesus returning to Jerusalem. 
chapter version, bleh, vision two is also in chapter one, and it's from verse 18 to 20. Zechariah saw four horns and four craftsmen. The horns were the nations that had been scattered from Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen were the nations that had come to fight against the nations that had attacked the land. So here it is. Zechariah saw four horns and four craftsmen. So the four horns were all the Jewish people that were scattered. And the craftsmen were that because God said he was going to come and take over their enemies, the craftsmen were the nations that God had then turned their hearts to fight against the enemies of the Jewish people so that they could subdue those nations that had attacked the people. So God promised and that he would bless his people and that he would curse the people that cursed him. If you remember from Deuteronomy, he said, I will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you. So in God getting the enemies of the enemies of the Jewish people to attack the enemies of the Jewish people, he was in turn blessing the enemies of the enemies of the Jewish people. If that makes any sense, if you can follow what I'm saying, God had the enemies of the Jewish people subdue the Jewish people. Then he had the enemies. No, God had the Jewish people. They had enemies. They subdued the Jewish people. Then he had the enemies of the enemies of the Jewish people come and subdue them. So God was using everybody's enemy against them. But as long as it gave him what he wanted, his intended end, like I said, he will use whomever he has to use. Vision three comes in chapter two. A man with a measuring line to measure Jerusalem by width and length. And because this was the, this interpretation was that God intended to multiply the people and to bless them with cattle and land and everything. He was going to make them so bountiful because when he came back to bless them because they had been obedient after everything they had suffered, they would no longer need walls to keep out their enemies because Jerusalem had walls around it before Babylon took over. But you see, like God says, the gates of the city, they go to north. I mean, if you have something... Nothing's going to keep anything out if God wants it to happen. So they had walls up, but their enemies were still able to come in and subdue them. But what God was showing with the measuring line to show Jerusalem was that I'm going to make you have so much land. There's going to be so many people here because people are going to come back from being in exile. You're going to have so much cattle and just goats and chickens. And he's just going to make them so bountiful that you're you're not going to need any walls because it's just going to be so many of you. And I'm going to be the one that's going to be guarding the city. I'm going to be the gate that's going to protect you. That's what God was letting them know with that measuring, that measuring line. Vision four comes in chapter three, and it talks of Joshua and his return to Jerusalem after the exile. And this was proof because Joshua was the priest. Remember? So this was proof to the people that a messianic king would indeed come to Jerusalem to remove the sins of the people. And who does that sound like? Christ coming to remove the sins of the people. So Joshua coming back to Jerusalem was a vision of Christ coming to remove the sins of the people. So now we have vision five, which is in 
chapter 4, which is the uh, gold lampstand with a dish on top of it. It's seven lamps with seven spouts each. And then it has two olive trees that stood on either side of the lampstand. Now, anybody that would see this would be like, what are you talking about? And that's what Jacariah was always asking the angels. When he saw these visions, he was like, what does this mean? Because to the regular eye, when you're looking at this, you're like, I I don't know what that means. A lampstand with seven spouts. But this message was a message to Zerubbabel. Now, you remember the name Zerubbabel from Haggai. So this goes to show you how Zechariah and Haggai were during the, they were at the same time because the same people, Joshua and Zerubbabel are still in Judah doing what they needed to do because remember they came back with Haggai. They came back. So this message was a message to Zerubbabel from God saying about rebuilding the temple. And we're going to go to chapter four, verse six. And it said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And because he tells Zerubbabel this, because if you think about it, these people were in exile. They had been taken, okay, they had been warned for years, centuries, years, that God kept telling them, get your act together, I'm going to have your enemies take over. Nobody listened. Everybody still kept doing what they wanted to do. God let the enemies take over. So now when you have your enemies take over and you're taken over by the most brutal of nations, remember the Assyrians, they used to chop people's heads off and put them on the the gate so that people would come up. When they would come up to the gate outside of of the wall that was built around where they were, you would see all these heads would let you know, you come in here acting up, this could happen to you. They would take their enemies and torture them in front of people to show, you act up, this is what I'm going to do to you. The Babylonians were worse than that. So when they came in, they were doing stuff as well. So just imagine living under a regime, first the Assyrians, because they had the northern kingdom. Then you had the Babylonians. They took over Judah. Then you had the Persians come and take over everybody. And the Persians was worse than the two that was before. So every time somebody came, they were worse than the ones that were there before. So just imagine how beat down and broken, how broken the spirits were of the Jewish people to constantly have somebody trampling over them and treating them like they were nothing. And now remember, they also remembered what was happening in Egypt back then too. So you have that, then you have their disobedience, then you have God punishing them. So it's like, when do we... God, when do we catch a break? Like Habakkuk would say, God, when are we going to catch a break? When are we going to be able to be released from all of this? And why are you allowing this to happen? That's what his question was to God all the time. Why are you letting this happen? Here we have God telling Zerubbabel that continue to build my temple. And you, you rebuilding my temple, it's not going to be by your hands alone. The lampstand was a symbol of the overflowing strength of the Lord's spirit. And it was with that spirit, the Lord promised that the temple would be rebuilt. He was ensuring the people that the work would not be in vain 
and that they would complete what they set out to do because his spirit was going to be there. And here, here we see, once again, talking about the spirit of God, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. God was saying that I'm go- my spirit is going to be there to help you, to give you strength to be able to do what I need you to do for the temple. Right? So Zechariah used what he learned from the visions to encourage the people to continue to tell them, don't give up. Do this task for the Lord. He wants the temple rebuilt. And we're not going to do it in our own human strength, just like us today. When there's things that we have to do for God, we can't do it in our own strength because if we think about it, we get tired and want to go back to bed. We're only able to do it through the help of the Holy Spirit that the Lord gives to us to give us that strength to encourage us to keep going. And now the olive trees on the side of the lamp was a symbol of the anointed one. Now here we go again. Here we go again with this foreshadowing or this story of how this messianic king is coming. The two lampshades, the two lamp, the lampshades, no. The two olive trees were symbols of anointed one. Anointed meaning they anointed priests and they anointed prophets back in the day. So you have the priests, Joshua, and you have Joshua being the priest and Zerubbabel, who was also a priest, but Zerubbabel also served as a king. And kings were also anointed. But because they couldn't have a king, because Persia already had a king, Darius, they had, like, say, a governor that was over the people. So it was showing that in the future, you're going to have someone over you who's going to be king and priest together. And that from what from what the they've interpreted, the lampshade was supposed to the lampstand was Israel. So it was the lamps the lampshade the lampstand was telling the people that the Spirit of God was with them and that they would be able to continue to do what they needed to do. So the Spirit of God being Israel and you have Joshua and Zerubbabel being the olive trees, it was showing that for the future, Israel was going to rebuild the temple and that their messianic king was going to stand and be the anointed one over the world. Because where you had Joshua and Zerubbabel representing each, they both would be in one, meaning Christ. So it took the angel, of course, to interpret this for Zechariah because he would have never gotten that on his own. So with the spirit of the Lord coming, and then you have the olive trees, it was still all going back to how this temple is going to rebuild your future. So that's why it was so important for the people 
to pour all their time and efforts into this temple because the temple needed to be built for Christ to be able to dwell within it. I think it's time for us to take a music break so you could kind of absorb all that that I've been telling you. You've been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, What Brooklyn Sounds Like. Heaven can't be silent. A song of praise will always rise. There's a melody inside us, bringing dead things back to life. Distance cannot separate us. Sorrow will not keep us down. There is joy on the horizon, we can see it breaking now. Every shadow you light up, no darkness can fight it. I know our God is on the move. From garden to glory, you have always been working.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is now part of the time of the show that I call Op-Ed, but we're going to continue with these visions that we were talking about that Zachariah received so that he can encourage the people to continue to build the temple because God needed this temple built. He needed this temple built because the temple was going to be a symbol of what was to come. And Jesus needed the temple to be able to come back and do what he needed to do. So now there was eight visions in all, and we're up to vision six. Vision six comes in chapter five, and it's in verse one to four. It was flying scrolls that were 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. Now, we're going to read from verse 3 to 4. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes over, over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to the side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stone. So here it is. These scrolls. Right? You would never think that if you saw flying scrolls, it had anything to do with punishing somebody. But God, God told the angel to tell Zechariah, these scrolls are a curse that's going to cover the whole face of the earth. And every thief that is there and every liar that lied against me, they're going to be punished. So what God was really saying, and when you think about it, he's telling the people that in those times. But remember, all of Zechariah's visions were visions towards the future of what God was also saying was going to come. When the Messiah returns and establishes his kingdom, he's going to deal with everyone that transgressed against the law of what God put out. So think about it. When we think about Jesus coming back, when he comes back, he's coming back with a vengeance. He's coming back to show everyone, I gave you a chance to get yourself together. And now I'm coming back to bring vengeance on those who didn't obey. Same message. It's the same message. It's just today we know it's Jesus. They just kept looking at it as Messiah, Messiah. But we know today that it's Jesus that's coming back. We know that when he comes back, he's coming back to put everything right. So that's what these scrolls are talking about, how it's going over everything. And those who were not following, would be judged accordingly. That's exactly what those scrolls were talking about. So now here we have vision seven in chapter five, and this is from verses five to 11. And it was a measuring basket 
with a lead cover over it. And inside the basket was a woman. She was a woman living inside the basket. So the angel interpreted to Zechariah that the basket stood for iniquity. It was the sins of the Jewish people. And the woman that was living inside, she was a representative of the wickedness. And it was a lead cover on top of her. And then there were two women that was bringing the basket out of Jerusalem, carrying the basket out of Jerusalem to Shinar. Now, Shinar is Babylon. When you look it up, Shinar is Babylon. So the, the two women were actually carrying the basket out of Jerusalem, which was a symbol of when the Messiah comes back, all sins and all wickedness is going to be removed. That's what that basket represented. When the Messiah returns, he's going to deal with the sin and the wickedness. He's going to bring it out from the people, and he's going to deal with it accordingly. Now, for them to take it to Babylon, we know the Babylonians was hell raises. So, that was also a representation of, to the people at that time, okay, well, if he's taking the basket to Babylon, then that means he's going to destroy those people as well. So it's almost like today we're looking at, hmm, when Jesus comes back, he's removing all sin and wickedness, and he's going to destroy it. And it's going to be destroyed wherever he's destroying everybody else that didn't follow what they're supposed to do. And the last and final vision that Zechariah gets is in chapter 6. And it's from verse 1 to 8. And it's four chariots coming out from between two mountains that are bronze, two bronze mountains. Now, the first chariot had a chestnut horse. The second chariot had a black horse. The third had a white horse. And the fourth had a dappled horse, had dappled horses. But they were all powerful. So just imagine you're standing there and you see these two giant bronze mountains and then you just see these chariots with these horses running at full speed, just running at full speed. And the horses were the horses of heaven going out from the Lord that was residing over the whole world. The black horse was going towards the north. The white horse followed him. And the other horses went to the south. And they were all instructed to patrol the earth and keep an eye on what was happening at any given time. So once again, we have God sending out his, whatever you want to call them, his people, they're not people, though. It's horses with chariots and sending out his heavenly beings. That's what I call them. God sending out his heavenly beings to patrol the earth, to patrol the world. And Zechariah warns the people, God is watching you. And we know that God sees everything and he's everywhere. And he doesn't have to send these police horses, these horses with these heavenly beings on to watch anything. 
But it just lets you know he's watching, but then he has others watching too. So he knows what's going to happen. But then when they know what happens, they go back and they tell him what happens. That's what he was telling the people. God sees everything you do. There's no way of escaping anything. Nothing that you do is going to be escaped. That's what the message was, what Zechariah was giving them overall. Overall, with all the visions, yes, you need to do this temple You because God is going to come back. He's going to dwell with you. He's going to make everything right. Yes. In the future, there's going to be a Messiah that's coming who's going to utilize this temple and make everything right. Yes, we know that. But the bigger picture, the bigger picture for right now, what Zachariah was telling the people, don't ever think that what you do, you're escaping anything that that God doesn't see you. You're not escaping anything. So it would just behoove you to do what it is he wants you to do. Just do what it is he wants you to do. And that's what we say today. It's the same message. The message, God has been given this message since Genesis with Adam and Eve. Why can't you just do what I need you to do? Why couldn't you just do what I needed you to do? That has been, if you think of any one message that God has been trying to get to his people from the beginning of creation, why can't you just do what I have, what I want you to do? Simplest of questions. Yes, we could go through Jesus coming. Yes, he came to take away the sins of the world. Yes, he's here. He's going to bring us back. To, you know, he came. He shed his blood on Calvary. He, you know, gave us that connection back to the Father to bring us back into the kingdom because we had, had been separated from God because of sin. And God cannot look upon sin, but God is love. And all he has only our best interests at heart. All that stuff. Yes, and do the best that you can and be good to your neighbor and love the Lord and love your neighbors and don't covet your neighbor's wife and don't steal and don't lie. And all those things, yes. But it all boils, it all boils down to one simple question. Why can't you just do what I ask you to do? That one question encompasses everything that we go through all 66 books to learn about the Lord. And I know it may, I'm making it seem so simplistic, but it is just that simple. Just do what you're supposed to do. And the book, when you say, oh, well, Kay, what is it we're supposed to be doing? That's where the book comes in. Because the book will show you where God told the people what he wanted them to do, how they didn't do what he wanted them to do, and what happens when you don't do what he wants you to do. The book shows you. So it's all about the book. Read the book. You'll be able to answer the question. So Zechariah also warns the people about being ritualistic when it comes to fasting and obedience. Because the people, they were like, yeah, yeah, we got to do this on the seventh day at the ninth hour when the sun is down going over the the east mountain. 
they were just doing things because that's the way they've always done it. But what Zachariah was trying to tell them is, if it's true obedience to God, you would be doing this from your heart because you, you want to do this, not because it's something you've been taught and we have to do it on this specific day, time, date, position, color of the rug. Oh, no. You're doing this because the love that you have for him, because he loves you. Even back then, they were trying to tell the people. Come on now. How hard is it? But in the end of chapter 6, we see a crown being placed on the head of Joshua. And we start with, we start with verse 11. Take the silver and gold. Make an elaborate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Zehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, from his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord, he shall bear the glory, and sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And here we have again showing the coming of Christ, the crown being placed on um, Joseph on, on Joshua's head is showing they're crowning him king. So in Christ, we're going to have both priests and king, and he's going to sit on the throne and reign and counsel peace over all. So in the last chapter, when we go to chapter 14, Zechariah tells the people that the day of the Lord is coming, which is a familiar thread through all the minor prophets. The day of the Lord is coming, and there's going to be a battle between all the nations. They're going to gather against Jerusalem, and the city will be captured but the Lord will come against all of Jerusalem's enemies and protect them. So what does that sound like? That sounds like from Revelation, the day of Armageddon. So here we have this minor prophet, Zechariah, foretelling what's to come. So it's like the end, the end of the Old Testament books ends with this sort of story telling you just like the end of the New Testament books in Revelation, and they have similar stories. But Zechariah was telling it in the way that the people of his time can understand. And then in Revolution, uh, Revelation, excuse me, we have it in the time where we can understand. So chapter 14 ends with, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and his name one. Isn't that something? God used Zechariah to not only prepare the people of what they had to do in his time, but he was also giving them the message to carry on to further tell everyone else, this is what's to come. This is what's going to happen. And that ends up Ed. So my time is growing short. This is the, this is still the month of June. So we still have our word seditious, inciting or causing people to rebel against the authority of a state or a monarch, 
And our promise for this week is going to come from Zechariah 1 and 3. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So when you think about it, in order to pursue God's agenda, we have to take the first step and repent. If we don't have repentance, there's nothing that we can do that's going to be pleasing in God's eyes. So I want to say, just like what happened to me this morning, and that's how I was saying it tied everything together. When you do what God wants you to do, when you're following in what he's telling you to do, he makes your way easier, not to the extent that you won't have obstacles in your way, but he works it out for you in every step of the way. He works it out for you like he worked it out for me this morning, what happened before I got here to the studio. That's because obedience, it comes from the obedience, you following and doing what he would have you to do. Remember, I told you the golden question to me that permeates through everything in society from what God is saying to people from the beginning of time. Why can't you just do what I asked you to do? And I want you to answer that question. When you think about things, I want you to ask yourself that question. God is just looking at you, asking you, why can't you just do what I asked you to do? And see what answer you come up with for yourself. So I want everybody to have a blessed Sunday. Fathers, have a wonderful day out there today. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your family. And until God brings us back together again, peace. Source of life when I'm in the deep end, drowning in the lies. I know I can depend, cause your word is not void. When I hear a voice, I get clarity through noise. If it's about me, then I know it's under you. I know that you love me, and that I can run to you, cause you're my safe place.
There's no one greater than you. There's no one higher than you. There's no one greater than you. Shut it out, but you feel 